You guys have a seat. Good morning to you. It's good to see you all here this morning. Uh, We're going to be in Acts chapter 11 in just a moment. Acts chapter 11. Uh, But before we get started in the Word, I want to let you know and maybe just remind you that um, we've got a big uh, mission trip coming up during spring break. It's our national mission trip, which is where we serve somewhere in our nation, working alongside a church plant to encourage them, but also to do ministry in the community uh, that this church has planted. And so this year we're going to be working um, outside of Oklahoma City in the Yukon area. We were there last year. And I just want to bring that to your attention for a couple reasons. One, for years we've been looking for an opportunity to serve um, in a mission capacity with our whole families. You know, a lot of things we do, oftentimes only one person from the family gets to go, like the Philippines or a trip that requires a lot of travel, and it's hard to take the little ones with. Um, But this national mission trip has become something that is for the whole family. matter of fact, last year, just from our community group alone, I think four families went. um, And it was just such a fun time to watch you know, not just the members of Solid Rock serving together, but our little ones uh, participating in that. And so that's going to be the case again this year during spring break. We do it during spring break because the, the littles are out of school and they can go with you if that's what you uh, would like to do, what God calls your family to do, um, to get to go serve these, uh, these, these areas where um, the church we're working with this year um, is planted in a, in a very low income area. Um, outside of Oklahoma City, and so there's a lot of opportunity to go in and just meet tangible needs, Um, but we also do like backyard Bible club, uh, VBS kind of things in the afternoon, and it's a fun time for these kiddos who, who are totally not expecting something fun during spring break, and we show up and get to have fun with them and teach them about Jesus and then minister to their families. And so there is something for everybody to do. Our, last year, our four-year-old was involved handing out snacks and just getting involved. And there were little kids all over just serving Jesus in that capacity. So I want to lay that before you in case you haven't made plans for spring break or not sure what you um, and your family are going to be doing. Um, but here's what we need from you. We have to plan for this. So um, on the table just outside these doors is the mission application. This is good for the national or international trip, but specifically for the national trip, we've got to get some things in place and planned. So if you would snag one of those and fill it out and drop it in one of our brown boxes just so we can know that you're anticipating or planning on going. And there's also a one-page um, information sheet on the trip that will give you more information than I've given you this morning. So grab one of those as well, especially if you're still praying about it and not sure Take one of those home with you so you can read through that and pray through that to see if God might lead you and or your family uh, to jump on board for that this year. So wanted to let you know about that. We've got to make plans soon, so go ahead and I think next Sunday's the deadline for getting all that paperwork turned in, so you've got a week to, to get that back in. Um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 11 this morning, and uh, we're going to do something a little bit different for us. We're still going to be um, in, in the book of Acts, uh, but something happens in the book of Acts chapter 11 uh, that, that, that causes us to pause for a minute and, and to think. So we were last week looking at Acts chapter 10, how this amazing gospel message has now gone not only outside of the walls of Jerusalem, but has breached uh, into, the, uh, into the culture of the Gentiles. It's beyond the Jewish nation now. And so what God had promised all throughout our Old Testament and what Jesus commanded at the, uh, in Matthew chapter 28 is now becoming a reality. This gospel message is available for anybody. Any ethnicity, background, rap sheet, color skin, language, everybody, anybody who calls on the name of the Lord is being saved. And so that happens in chapter 10. And one of the tangible markers of that is that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Peter uh, knew that God had favor on the Gentiles because they had access to God's Spirit. 
Well, in chapter 11, what happens is Peter takes word of this back to Jerusalem, and he tells the whole story again. So it's almost like a repeat of chapter 10. Now, Luke is the disciple who's writing this down, felt like it was really important to go back and retell the story again, right, that we might take note of what's happening. So we're going to be in chapter 11 uh, to get started this morning, but we're going to take an op- this as an opportunity to really focus on the key aspect and principle of the book of Acts, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit this morning uh, in a more comprehensive fashion. So let's get started in verse 1 of Acts 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, which are the Jews, the ones who were considered clean, um, they criticized him saying, you went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them? You, you went and hung out with and rubbed shoulders with the unclean people? In verse 4, but Peter began and explained it to them in order. And then he retells the story of chapter 10, how that all worked. When verse 12, the first part of verse 12, Peter says this, And the Spirit told me to go with them make no distinction and so Peter is letting them know yes I took this gospel message to the Gentiles to those who you think are unclean those who you think aren't religiously clean or ceremonially clean or the the people in our society who who um, who who aren't um, capable of or worthy enough to be in God's presence yes I took the gospel to them but I did it because the Holy Spirit told me to do it and then in verse 17 or 15 excuse me Peter says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as at the beginning. Well, what's he saying? He's talking to them about Acts chapter 2. He's talking to people who were in Jerusalem at at the point of Pentecost, Acts 2, when God's Spirit fell for the first time. And he's saying to them, remember how that happened to us? The same thing happened in Caesarea, just like it happened to us. And then in verse 16, and I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So remember last week we talked about this big revelation moment for Peter where he he even said, now I get it. Now I understand. So what he's saying to now his brothers, his Jewish uh, brothers in Christ is, guys, now I get it and I understand what Jesus was saying the whole time. That God's spirit will fall and save and heal and move and and will make no distinction. Remember how he told us to go to the nations, which translates all ethnicities? He didn't tell us to go to the nations, right, just to show them what we have. He told us to go to the nations to give them what we have. Remember how his spirit fell on us? His spirit's fallen on everybody. And then in verse 17... Peter draws this conclusion. He said, if God gave them the same same gift, or if God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And see, what Peter got in chapter 10, what what chapter 11 tells us is now the whole church is getting. Oh, it's repentance that leads to life, not the color of skin or what family you're born into, what language you speak, 
what your background is, whether or not you grew up in church or not. None of those things determine. It's repentance that leads to life. And now the church is beginning to get it. Well, the theme all throughout the book of Acts is the movement of the Holy Spirit in and through his people. We've been talking about that through this whole series. The only reason this is an unstoppable movement of God, an unstoppable church, is because the Holy Spirit is guiding, prompting, orchestrating, empowering, filling, and moving these believers forward. They're not doing it on their own. Chapter after chapter, God is orchestrating divine moments, accomplishing his mission through these men and women. So what we're going to do now is we're going to spend time throughout the rest of um, our time together looking at this topic of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, among the things we talk about in church and read about in the Bible, um, I think we could all agree that the the Holy Spirit is one of the, the, the least understood aspects of God. Now, one of the reasons for that is because when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the spirit of an infinite God. A God who can't be fully comprehended from a finite perspective. Everything that God is, is the Holy Spirit. Everything the Holy Spirit is, is God. And so if we can't fully comprehend who God is, then we need to understand and be okay with the fact that we won't fully comprehend the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of things we don't understand. I think the problem we make, though, in in church is that we get hung up on and we focus so much on what we don't understand that we don't rest in what we do understand, what we do know. There's things about the Holy Spirit, how he fills believers, what what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. There's things we don't fully get, but the Word of God teaches us so much about the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does for us. And so we're going to walk through scriptures this morning. Now we're going to move fairly fast, okay? So in the sermon notes in front of you, you have both the fill in the blanks and also all the scripture addresses that we're going to go through. We're going to put these on the screen. So if you find yourself not able to keep up by flipping and turning, hey, just you know, rest assured, they're all there. Um, as a matter of fact, I would love for you to take your sermon notes home this week and make that part of your daily time with the Lord and allow him to speak to you as you reread and study the scriptures on the topic of the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do is I want to just start with a little bit of recap. So last week, again, we saw that the tangible marker that the Gentiles had been saved is that they had received the Holy Spirit. Well, this takes us all the way back to the Gospels. You remember a conversation uh, in John chapter 3 between Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus is talking to Jesus about how um, he could could have the kingdom of God. And Jesus talks about seeing the kingdom of God. You can't see the kingdom of God unless you've been born again. And it kind of trips him out. And Nicodemus is like, whoa, how can I be born again? i got to go back into my mother's womb. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. No, you've already been born once. I'm talking about being born again, born of the Spirit. And Jesus even talks about the Holy Spirit isn't fully comprehensible. It's like the wind. As the wind goes and blows wherever it pleases, so does the Holy Spirit of God. And so even Jesus, early on in his ministry, was proclaiming this Holy Spirit as a mark of salvation. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to break our conversation into two pieces. We're going to break it into the now and the not yet. Okay, And this is an important way to understand who we are in Christ. There's so much, if you've trusted in Jesus, that God has already done in your life. That's the now. Already happened. But then we also know there's a not yet component. He's still working on us, growing us, transforming us. And so we're going to break our conversation today into two pieces. And we're going to talk, first of all, about the now. That at the moment I trust in Christ, what's the Holy Spirit doing? What has he already done? And then we'll shift to the not yet, what he's yet to do or is continually doing in our lives. 
And so I want to begin, if you've got your sermon notes, I want to follow along, with the first statement there. The Holy Spirit gives light to our spiritual eyes. And we're going to break this down. The Holy Spirit gives light to our spiritual eyes. In the book of uh, Ephesians chapter 1, um, the Apostle Paul is writing to Christians, and in verse 16, he's talking about his prayer of thanksgiving for them, and he says this, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That word enlightened means to give light to. It's like taking a flashlight in a dark room and then turning it on, enlightening, adding light to, so that our hearts would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So for us, we fumble around in the darkness before we know Christ, it's actually the Holy Spirit that turns on the light that we can see, enlightens us. So think of it like this. Um, I was, well, uh, this is how I think of it. So we had a... um, we had a family pet we had to put down this last fall, and it was a very traumatic experience, especially for my boys. This is the first time they'd had to go through something like this. We had had Titus in the family for 13 years, little Cocker Spaniel, so as long as our boys have been alive, that we've had Titus. He was a big part of our family. Last six months of his life, though, um, he began to lose his hearing and sight uh, to the point where he bumped into things a lot. If you've ever been around an animal, and it's really a sad thing to see and so at some point we had to make that hard decision to to put him down and many times in those last few months we'd be out in the backyard you know hanging out playing the boys would be throwing balls just having a, a grand time we forget that Titus was blind and deaf and and then all of a sudden somebody would bump into him and startle him because he was walking around in darkness and blindness well that's that's how we are spiritually speaking before we come to know Christ Things don't make sense to us. The affections of our hearts aren't pointed towards Jesus. We're walking around uh, veiled with a hardened heart, and it's the Holy Spirit, not our own ambitions, that opens up truth for us and shines a light. That we might know who God is and come to love him. And then the next statement you've got in your sermon notes there is this. Not only does the Holy Spirit awaken us by shining light, the Holy Spirit gives us an acute awareness of our sin and allows us to feel the desperation of not being able to do anything about it. And that sounds like a, like a horrible thing almost, doesn't it? What a gift it is. Because in blindness, I'm not aware that I'm blind. It's not that I used to could see and then I became blind, it's that I've always been spiritually blind before I meet Jesus. So I'm fumbling around in the dark, thinking everybody else is fumbling around in the dark, and this is my reality. And I'm trying to comprehend God in in a sense of blindness. I'm trying to understand the world around me. And until God makes me aware of of what's really going on, right, nothing can get fixed. Well, in uh, John chapter 16, Jesus is teaching about the Holy Spirit, and he says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, For if I don't go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So as the Holy Spirit flicks on the light, so to speak, in our spiritual lives, what he does is he shows us what was already there, this sin issue. And so we become acutely aware that we're sinners. Right? Before that, we try to pretend like we weren't. 
We tried to pretend like there wasn't sin in our lives. We didn't like the idea of somebody calling the things in our lives sin, but when the Holy Spirit shines light, you, you're left with no other option to go, yeah, I did that. Yes, I'm responsible for that. And the more aware we become of our sin, what happens is the more desperate we become and realize, I can't do anything to fix it. I've been trying to fix this sin issue on my own, and I can't do anything to remove it or fix it or quit doing it. Or... And so now we're left with, I need help, Right? It's the Holy Spirit that awakens us to the fact that we need help. Well, along at the same time, at the, in, in, as the Holy Spirit shows us our deep need for help, the Holy Spirit magnifies the work of Christ. Magnifies the work of Christ. In John chapter 15, I love this part of the Gospel of John, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, again, calling him the helper. And in verse 26, he says, When the helper comes, the Holy Spirit whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And so one of the markers that Jesus will let us know that we've encountered the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit will bear witness, will, sh- will magnify who Jesus is. Um, about, uh, about a year ago, we had a guest speaker preaching here about the Holy Spirit, Valentine. Uh, was preaching and did a great job. And one of, the, one of the marks that he laid out of a church that's filled with the Holy Spirit is that this church magnifies Jesus because that's what the Spirit does. If the church is not magnifying Jesus, the church is not operating then in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus himself said, you'll know when the helper comes because he'll magnify my work. He'll shine a light on me as well. At the same time, he flicks on the light in your spiritual life and allows you to see your sin and your desperate situation. He shows you hope. He points a light on me and says, here's where you need to take this mess. Bring it to the cross. And so the Holy Spirit magnifies the work of Christ. Now, keep in mind, this is all, these are all things that, if you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit has already done for you. And keeping in track with that, the Holy Spirit makes our hearts new. And we're going to talk for a minute about that word new. Holy Spirit makes our hearts new. The Apostle Paul in, in, in Titus 3 is writing to Titus, and he reminds us of this. When he says in verse 5 that he saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by, so here's how he saved us, the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. If you are saved, you're saved because the Holy Spirit saved you. God's Spirit. You can't be saved and not have encountered the Holy Spirit working in you. You can't save yourself. I can't save myself. Right? I've seen the desperation of my situation. I've seen the hope I have in Jesus. But how do I make that my reality? By trusting in Jesus, the Holy Spirit renews us, regenerates us. Now, we're going to talk in a minute about how it's not all done yet. There's this continuation of this work. That's the not yet. But the now work is this. All things are made new. The Holy Spirit imparts the righteousness of Jesus to me. He forgives and removes all my sin. He does a cleansing work in me that I can't do for myself all things are new. So now, after salvation, I now have new motivations, new aspirations. I now have new affections. I now, my heart stirs for Jesus, and I want to sing about him and to him and be with him and tell people about him. That's new. When I was walking in blindness, I didn't want to tell anybody about Jesus. I didn't want to hear about Jesus. I didn't want to be with a group of people singing about Jesus on Sunday morning. I wanted to be in bed or fishing or playing golf or watching TV, right? I didn't want to be any part of this. But now something new is going on in me. 
I'm not perfect yet on the outside. I'm still bumping into stuff and making mistakes. But there is something new in me. And that's a regenerated heart, a renewed mind and heart. The Holy Spirit does that in you at the moment of salvation. It's why for so many of us, at that moment of salvation, just immediately after, we just want to tell people, right? We didn't even know what words to use or how to articulate or describe it. We just wanted to call everybody we know and tell them about what God had done in us. That's new. The Holy Spirit does that in us. But not only does he do that initial work, the Holy Spirit also takes up residence in our hearts. He takes up residence in our hearts. Romans 8 is a great chapter about how the Holy Spirit works in us. In in verse 9 of Romans 8, the Apostle Paul writes this to Christians. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So, if you belong to him, you have the Spirit of Christ. But if Christ is in you... Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We could go on and on throughout the New Testament, right? This building is no longer the temple of God. You are the temple of God. Why are you the temple? Because God's spirit lives in you. God's spirit dwells in his temple. I'm standing, I'm standing here looking at temples of the Holy Spirit. His Spirit dwells in you. If His Spirit doesn't dwell in you, you're not in Christ. And if you're in Christ, His Spirit dwells in you. We've got one more thing we're going to look at that happens at the point of salvation. Ephesians 1 so beautifully lays this out for us in verse 13. I'll just read it and then we'll, we'll fill in the blank. In Him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So when you heard it, when you heard this good news of Jesus, and you believed in him, at that moment you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. What do we mean by sealed? Well, this is the idea of a signet ring sealed. Okay, The idea that, that God has placed his stamp on you. Verse 14 says this. says it this way. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory? So if you're a Christian, you're saved. You're saved because God's spirit has shined a light, has enlightened you to several things. First, your sin and the desperation of that situation, but also to the hope that is in Christ. And not only that, when you trust in Christ, God's spirit renews you, regenerates you, and we just read, seals you as a guarantee of your eternal inheritance. So even in those moments of doubt as a Christian, Or maybe you question your salvation, you question eternity. God's spirit is there as a stamp on your life, guaranteeing you into eternity. And if you're in Christ, that's the now, everything we've discussed. These are all past tense promises for those who are in Christ. Now what we're going to do is we're going to shift to the not yet. The continued work of God in us and his Holy Spirit working in us. And so let's think for just a minute about this idea of being enlightened. We talked about that earlier, how that, that moment of enlightenment allows us to see our desperation and what to do with it. Now we're going to talk about how that enlightenment works in us and on us on a daily basis. And, and I believe even right now as we open his word together, this enlightenment is happening in your heart. We know this because 
of what John teaches us about the Holy Spirit and John, or excuse me, Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John. In John 14, 26, Jesus says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will, will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So who teaches you spiritual things? The pastor? Nope. Your community group leader? Nope. If you learn an eternal spiritual truth, the Holy Spirit taught you that. So when you come up to me on any particular Sunday and say, wow, good job, you really spoke to my heart today, I should say, I sure hope I didn't. If you heard anything that mattered today, God's Spirit spoke to you. In John chapter 16, the first part of verse 13, Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into the truth. We only discover truth by God's spirit enlightening it to us, right? Now, let me just share with you a conversation I had with um, a, a young girl in our uh, community group. We were um, hanging out with some families from our community group, and it was kind of a spontaneous conversation um, I was sitting with, it with a girl who's, um, she's about seven years old, and I always love the, the questions that like seven-year-olds ask about God, because I'm never prepared to answer them, and, uh, and so we were sitting there in the living room and just, just plopped down on the couch and started asking me theological questions about how do you know when God speaks to you, and how do you hear from God, and how does that whole God lives in you work, and uh, you know, that kind of thing, and so we were talking about the Holy Spirit, and this conversation went on for about 20 minutes. And one of the things that she was asking is, how do I know when it's God's spirit speaking versus like other voices I might hear? And I said, that's a great question. So I, I kind of gave her some examples. I said, you know, it's kind of like if you, if you had a friend who you didn't see, uh, but your friend wrote you letters every day. And, and so for years, you just opened these letters and read these letters from your friend. You could still know things about your friend, right? She said, yeah. I said, you could still know how your friend feels about you, and you could learn a lot about your friend just by reading letters from your friend. And she's like, yeah, I, I, that makes sense. I said, okay, well, God has written to us a letter. It's his word, his Bible. And the more we read the Bible, it's, right, the more we read God's letter to us, the more we, we learn what his voice sounds like. And then I talked to her about, you know, those moments where, you know, you, you, you want to do something that you know is wrong. And she's like, oh, yeah. And I said, well, you know, that voice inside of you that's, that's encouraging you to do the right thing, that's the Holy Spirit of God. She's like, oh, okay. I said, so, right, so God never encouraged us to do the wrong thing, does he? She said, no. And I said, okay, so we know that when we hear a voice encouraging us to do the wrong thing, is that God's Spirit? No way. That's right. It's not God's Spirit. God's Spirit guides us towards what is right and what is true. And one of the best ways to hear from God is to open his word, to read his letters that's good that's a good advice for us as adults isn't it we don't just open up the bible to become smarter to learn more about history and learn more about the church we open god's word to hear from him to hear his voice to know what he sounds like so that when he speaks to us on a daily basis we recognize it we can distinguish god's voice from our own from the voice of our parents from the voices of the culture that surrounds us and we can begin to distinguish no that's not what god sounds like this is what god sounds like and it's God's spirit that leads us to truth. God's Holy Spirit teaches and remind us, reminds us of what is true. Teaches us and reminds us. Um, remind is a pretty significant word in the New Testament. We're oftentimes commanded to remember. 
because we're prone to forget, aren't we? Even those of us who are saved, have the Spirit living in us, right, who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, we're prone to forget how good God is. We're prone to forget God's moving in our lives. We're prone to forget that he's changed us and made us new. So how do we remember? God's Spirit in you reminds you. Have you ever had one of those spiritual rememberings? God reminded you? Or maybe you were in a conversation with somebody, and all of a sudden God's Spirit begins to bring things up and remind you of scriptures you've read, truths you've heard. That's God's Spirit teaching and reminding you. Now, in a very specific way, um, the Holy Spirit, as he reminds us, one of the most significant things the Holy Spirit can remind us of is who we are and whose we are. Who we are and whose we are. Who we are and whose we are. See, when we think about God's salvation to us, he's forgiven us of our sins and given us righteousness. But we need to understand, that is just part of the package, The most significant thing God has done is he's changed who we are, and he's changed whose we are. At the moment of salvation, you now belong to him, right? I'm no longer my own. I belong to him. I'm no longer wandering about in darkness. I've been saved, and I've also been adopted into God's family. So so I'm a son of the Most High God if I'm saved. I'm prone to forget that. I'm prone to forget that I belong to God, I'm his, and I'm his son. So God's spirit in us, Romans 8 reminds us of this. Verse 14 of Romans 8 says, For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father or daddy, daddy. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. God's spirit dwelling in you on a daily basis is reminding you, you are a child of God. When we mess up, when we, when we sin, when we disobey God, we're prone to forget that, aren't we? We're prone to think, oh, I'm, God doesn't love me, I'm unworthy, right? We're prone to think those things, and God's spirit in us says, no, 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 no. You are still struggling with sin, but that hasn't changed who you are. You're mine. I already did that work in you. And my spirit will be in you to remind you on a daily basis who you are and whose you are. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, later on in Romans chapter 8, we get this remarkable teaching about what the Holy Spirit does for us. Before we even get there, um, so what we're about to read about is how God's spirit works with our spirit in moments of struggle and weakness. And that's significant because oftentimes in those moments of struggle or suffering or weakness, those are the times we tend to think God can't hear us. Those are the moments in our journey where we tend to feel like our prayers hit the ceiling and come back down. Those are the moments where we don't even know what to pray anymore. We don't even know what to say. And, and, right? And so for us, we oftentimes feel very distant from God in moments of struggle. Does that make it true? No. Romans 8 tells us this beautiful thing the Holy Spirit does for us. In verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And in a very specific way, for we do not know what to pray for what we ought. Have you ever been there? I don't even know what to pray anymore. 
Look at what God's Spirit does in that moment. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. So when you don't know what to pray or what to say and don't have even the bandwidth or energy to say anything, you're just hurting. God's Spirit is interceding for you. He's relaying your groanings to the Father. Well, how does he know what I'm feeling? Look at what verse 27 says. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So in that moment, the Spirit is searching your heart. You don't have to articulate what you're feeling. God's Spirit in you is searching your heart. And in that moment of pain and desperation or loneliness or depression, when you're feeling away from God and you feel like pushing God away, God's spirit is pressing in on you. And in that moment, you don't know what to pray. God's spirit is searching your heart, knowing what you're feeling in that moment. And he's, he's interceding and he's translating that to the Father. This is what your daughter is feeling right now. This is the pain that, that your son is, is going through right now that he can't even articulate. And the Father feels what you feel in that moment because the Holy Spirit intercedes for you. The Holy Spirit helps us in our moments of weakness. This is why we cannot define God's Spirit in us simply by what we feel. Are there moments in your journey God, where God's spirit is moving in you and you can feel it? Absolutely. Those are exciting moments. Are there times, though, in your journey where God's spirit is moving in you and you can't feel it? Yes. In those moments where all you feel is pain and desperation, for those of us who are in Christ, God's spirit is still there, still moving, even when you can't feel it. Well, in addition to that, we're seeing something amazing play out in the book of Acts that is also playing out in our lives as well. Now remember in Acts 1 verse 8, before the church launched, Jesus said this last thing to his disciples before he ascended to heaven, and it was about the Holy Spirit. And so here's what Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So Jesus is saying, so my spirit is going to come upon you. Now, he's already made all these promises about the Spirit being our helper, our helper and guiding us to truth and all these things that we've already read about. But now Jesus is looking forward and saying, when the Spirit comes upon you, you'll also know that because he'll empower you to carry out my mission. Now, we've been reading in the book of Acts what this looks like. And chapter after chapter, God has shown us that his Holy Spirit is orchestrating these divine moments. These guys are not carrying out this mission on their own strength. Philip did not take off looking for an Ethiopian to share the gospel with. Ananias wasn't going out looking for Saul to, to pray for him. The Holy Spirit spoke to these guys. Peter wasn't asking God, show me what it means to love the Gentiles. God's Spirit orchestrated all those things. And God is doing that same thing through and in you. Same Spirit, same mission. You're now the generation of disciples walking on earth. You're the one whose God's spirit is indwelling, empowering for works of ministry. Now the mistake we make is this. I expect God to potentially one day call me off the bench into the game, but I gotta get all this junk right first. 
We've already seen God remarkably use Peter, and it wasn't until chapter 10, right, that Peter began to fully get the fullness of the gospel. God's not waiting for you to figure it all out and to get your act together. As soon as you have the Holy Spirit, God wants to work through you. But I don't have all the answers yet. Good, because I'm not asking you to answer anything. I'm going to answer through you. But God, I don't have my life together. I still have a lot of sin in my life. God says, perfect. It'll give you an opportunity to brag on Jesus and how good he is and how he loves you and forgives you, even in the midst of struggle. God's spirit orchestrates divine moments in ministry and empowers us for every good work. He orchestrates divine moments of ministry and empowers us for every good work. This is what Paul said in Ephesians 2.10. He was writing to people who are are saved. He said, you are God's worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And then he says what? Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk into them, bump into them, run into them along the way. My prayer for us as a church is quickly becoming, I shared this on Friday night, that each one of us who calls Solid Rock our home would begin waking up every day expecting to be on mission. Expecting God to orchestrate divine encounters. And you, don't know, you won't know what they're going to look like or who they're going to be with, but you're walking with your eyes open, enlightened, expecting God, right, to, to cause you to bump into somebody at a, at a restaurant, in a break room, at a cubicle, on a phone conversation, at a coffee place, right, at a gas station, maybe in your own home that we would live the way these disciples live, expecting the Holy Spirit to orchestrate divine moments, and then we would walk into them believing God has empowered us for that moment. And he'll give you what you need. He'll speak through you in that moment. Well, in addition to that, as we grow in Christ, we begin to become more aware of how God has supernaturally gifted us. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, talk extensively about how God's spirit gifts things to us, supernaturally empowers us. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, we read this, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit, a variety of services, but the same Lord, a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. That's the mission. Verse 7, to each believer, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. So God doesn't just empower the elite super Christians to do missions or to be on mission and the rest of us are just cheering them on from the sidelines. If you're in Christ, God's spirit in you has empowered you with supernatural gifts. They're not all the same, are they? Some have the gift of teaching. Some have a gift of wisdom. I was talking with um, Faith and Philip Jones who lead our hospitality ministry, that whole team of people who show up and make sure we have what we need on Sunday um, and we were talking about this this last week, and she was talking about her passion. She's, this may sound funny, but I like what I'm doing here. So of course you do. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit, right? Hospitality is a gift of the Holy Spirit according to his word. So our gifts are different. We serve in different ways, but each believer is empowered with the supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit. And I think that the further we walk on our journey with Christ, the more aware we are of these gifts, um, we do a spiritual gift analysis here, and what, what we say is this, it just helps get the conversation started. But along the way through mentorship, through growing in Christ, the more you walk with him, the more you're aware of how he's gifted you. 
Paul talks to, to Timothy, and he, he talks to Timothy, he tells him not to neglect his spiritual gift, which he received uh, when the elders laid their hands on him. He tells him to fan it into flame. So when you become a Christian, God's spirit in you is, is, has placed these embers of spiritual giftings in your life. Some of them may be obvious from day one, and some of them may not. They're like little embers. As you walk with Christ, and you grow and mature, the more you read his word, the more time you spend with him, the Holy Spirit fans that little ember. If you've ever started a, a campfire from an ember, slowly but surely begins to fan that into flame in your life. It's true for all of us who are in Christ. God's, the Holy Spirit gives supernatural gifts to us for the purpose of ministry and building up the church. And then I want to I talk about this last one and spend some time on it. The last statement in your notes says this. The Holy Spirit does the slow work of reorienting our hearts towards holiness and Christ's likeness. The Holy Spirit does the slow work of reorienting our hearts towards holiness and Christ's likeness, which are one and the same. Uh, Philippians 1, Paul reminds the church of this amazing promise. Paul says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And that one short verse, Paul says so much, because he's talking about the now and the not yet, right? He's saying that when the moment you became saved, God began a good work in you. He sealed you. He renewed you. He did all this amazing work in you. And Paul is saying what? And I'm sure that he who began that good work, God's Holy Spirit, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And he's, he's talking about it from two aspects. Either we live long enough that Jesus comes back or you step from this life into eternity with him. Either way, the work is not gonna be finished in you until that day, which means right now, January the 29th, 9.18 a.m., right here where you are, God's Spirit is working in you and on you. God is working in you and on you right now. What is he doing? I talked about this um, a few weeks ago about how oftentimes in our Christian journey, it feels like we're just in this ridiculous cycle, right? God convicts us. He enlightens us to something that needs to change to be reoriented. So then we make a deep commitment that we're going to change and then we find ourselves failing again. It seems like this cycle oftentimes, okay? I want to talk about that from two aspects. One, oftentimes it feels like that, but that's not actually what's going on. It's a, it is this cycle, but we're moving forward. And slowly but surely, we're maturing in Christ. It's not always obvious to us, the people around us, but over time, kind of like watching a tree grow. You can't see it grow, but after about 20 years, you can tell it's grown, right? And so that happens in our spiritual lives. But I think another thing that happens is this, is somewhere between conviction and making a commitment, we don't initiate a plan to grow. All we do is make a commitment, make no changes, implement no plan, and then we find ourselves back at conviction again, right? Because why? We don't change anything. And there's a, there's this, a phrase that I've come to, to apply to my own life and, and use in many situations. It's this, every yes is a no to something, and every no is a yes to something. And so when God convicts us of something we need to be saying yes to, we have to understand that means I need to say no to something else. 
And vice versa, if God's called me to say no to something, he's actually called me to say yes to something else. So God isn't coming to me saying, you just need to get this out of your life. He's saying, I want you to get this out of your life and replace it with something. Or God's saying, I want to add this to your journey into your life, but you gotta get something out of the way first, right? I mean, just in a practical, a practical aspect, I think about the first of the year, how we're all making commitments to, to be healthier and to fitness and all these kinds of things. You can't just add something to your life and become more fit, right? You can't just get a gym membership and expect that to fit. You've got to, right, the reason that we are how we are is because of all the things we've been doing. You've got to remove something to become, right? I can't just add grilled chicken and broccoli to my diet and expect to be fit. I've got to replace something, okay? So in the same way, right, and God's calling me to add something to my life that would be good for me, I've got to be willing to say no to something else and get it out of the way. I'm already too busy and overwhelmed to just add one more thing in, Right? Like if I'm going to make a commitment to go to the gym, I've got to cut something out to make room for it. That's the same thing, right, in Christ. When God brings us to a place of conviction and we realize, okay, I, I hear you, Holy Spirit. I need to make a change. At the point of commitment, right, we need to be asking the question, what do you want to remove and what do you want to add? Oftentimes in, in moments of sin, you know what it is? It's not necessarily that God just wants to remove the sin. He wants to remove our affections for that sin. Did you know that? We love sin, and God wants to say, hey, I want to remove this sin from you, not just to create a hole, but I want to replace that with Jesus. And so we don't just overcome sin by not doing it. The only way that we overcome sin is by loving Jesus more, allowing Jesus to feel that spot, and our affections go towards him. And then, and then what happens is this attachment we had to this sin becomes loosened, and it pales in comparison to him. And so that's the good work that the Holy Spirit is doing in us. And it feels like a cycle. Sometimes it is, right? But, but oftentimes that cycle is growing us and maturing us. And we, like the Apostle Paul, are saying, I don't know why I keep doing the junk I don't want to do. I don't know why I can't do the things I want to do, right? And there's this continual cycle. You know what that cycle tells me? It tells me that God is patient and God is kind. He's loving and he's merciful. He doesn't bail on me the first time I don't have it together. He doesn't run out on me the first time I mess up. He patiently loves me, guides me. And any moment I feel like God is done with me asking forgiveness for this one thing, I am not listening to the Holy Spirit because what the Holy Spirit say, bring it to God again. God is not tired of hearing your prayers. He who has began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion, Christ follower, even when it doesn't feel like it. Amen? Now, what I wanted to do today, right, was just take a moment to spend some time talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in us, the now and the not yet. As I mentioned earlier, I hope you'll take your sermon notes home with you and make that a part of your journey this week, okay? And, and as you do that, as you open his word, I don't want you to be listening for my voice. I don't want you to be listening for the voice of a, of, a, of a leader in your life, a community group leader, a Sunday school teacher, your mom, your dad, your grandparents. I want you to be listening for the voice of God. If you are in Christ, God's spirit is in you. And you're going to take home with you these amazing promises from scripture. And I want you to think about, what does this mean for me? Where am I at in this now and not yet journey with God.
Maybe you're, you're still at a place where you haven't realized that his spirit dwells in you and this would be the week for you to come to that awareness. That as you open his word on a daily basis and you pray and you begin to hear his voice, maybe this will be the first time in your journey you recognize the spirit's voice in your life. It'd be awesome. Or, or maybe you've learned to recognize the voice of the spirit but you've moved into a really hard season right now, a season of struggle, and you can't feel the spirit. Now I'm sure you can hear the spirit. Maybe this will be a time for you to rest and trust in what you know is true, even when you can't feel it. And so Romans 8 would be the place that you would go this week, just reminding yourself, the Holy Spirit's interceding for me right now. Maybe you've come to that place in your journey where you're beginning to ask those questions like, how do you want me to serve in the church? What gifts have you given me? And so that would be your journey this week. Maybe you would go back to 1 Corinthians 12 and read the whole chapter. If you do that, please read on into chapter 13. Go to Romans 12 and read about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And maybe you would pick up a conversation with somebody. Go have coffee with somebody. Maybe a community group leader, a spiritual leader, and say, hey, I'm on this journey trying to figure out how God's gifted me. And begin the process of asking God to show you the gifts he's given you that you could serve and be on mission for him. So however God's speaking to you now, let's, let's begin now to think about going from awareness to commitment. Can we do that? But we're not just going to add something to our lives. We're going to ask God, what do you want to add to my life? What do you want to take away? And so let's get ready to pray together as the worship team comes back up. Let me pray over us. And I want to remind you, as always, throughout the rest of this service, our prayer partners are available you want to pray with somebody or just share your heart with somebody, that's what they're here for. They've got lanyards on that say prayer partner. They'll be in the back during these next two songs. If you just want to stay seated and kind of think on and meditate on how God has spoken to you this morning, you're free to do that as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this moment in time. God, thank you for the now. That God, when we read about your spirit, it's not simply a past tense conversation. It's not a future conversation. It is a now conversation. God, thank you for showing us this morning what you're doing in our lives right now. And God, as your children, we want to become better at recognizing your voice. So God, for each one of us, wherever we are on our spiritual pilgrimage, our spiritual journey, God, more than anything, we want to hear your voice. To come to a place where we recognize when you're speaking. To come to a place where we respond when you convict us. To come to a place where we trust you when you give us opportunities to live out the mission. So Father, now we ask for your Holy Spirit. Move through this place, move through our hearts. Enlighten us, convict us, heal us, touch us, speak to us. God, move however you see fit. And we pray all this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus.